We are going to be at, in uh, Parshas Balak, chapter 23, verse 10, uh, where we ended up in the last class. It says this, Who has counted the infants of Yaakov, or the number of the divisions of Israel? May my soul die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. We left off with this verse last class. I find it interesting that this is a man who blesses Israel, but came there with the intention to curse them in such a way that it would wipe them out. Balaam only wanted them to be cursed and to be ineffective, to, hold, to cause harm to his nation or, or the Moabites around them. Uh, Bilam, on the other hand, wanted to see them completely decimated, wiped out. We determined in the last class that there are two basic categories of people in the nations that are not, not a part of the Jewish people. Now, when I say there are those who are part of the Jewish people, obviously we're talking about the Ger, the B'nai Noach, the righteous amongst the nation, and, and the Jew. That's one group. And then you're going to have the other two groups that are outside of that. There are two groups of people outside that are sort of represented, represented in this Parsha. One, you have uh, the Balak, or the Balak type of representation of people that just doesn't want, they don't want to see Israel prosper. They don't hate them to the point they want them dead. They just think that it would be better off if they weren't where they're at. And if you'll notice, no matter where they were throughout the past 2,600 years, there were always those people, no matter where, whether it be Central Europe or Asia, you know, as soon as the Jewish people began to prosper, it's like, you know, we don't want to kill you, but we don't want you here. Go somewhere else. And then they'd persecute them until they'd leave. Um, and then you have the other part of the people that want to see them done away with completely. Absolutely zeroed out. They don't want them on the face of the earth. And we determined the reason why that there are those people who want to completely do away with them or don't want to see them prosper has to do with the covenant that Hashem has with His people. I don't think they realize that. I don't think that the, the Amaleks of society and the Balaams and the whomever else is out there, the Edom, actually verbalize those things and say, I don't like Israel because they have a special relationship with God. If anything, the people usually thinking that think they have a special relationship with God. Right? And it's very clear. The Islamists think they have a very special relationship with God. And therefore, they think that Israel, because Israel defied the covenant of God, should be wiped off the face of the earth because they are infidels. And they believe that Christians are infidels as well because they believe in multiple deities. They're not, they don't believe in one God. And then there are the Christians who say, well, no, we don't hate the Jews. We just want them to become like us, right? Uh, there would be nothing greater that Balak could have accomplished than to somehow have a curse put on the Jewish people and they would assimilate in with his people. That'd been the perfect idea. A great, powerful nation, all this great wealth, come and assimilate with us. Man, we could be, we could be the top, top nation around. But that's not what God had in mind. Now, 
at the end of this, we see he, say, he says, may my soul die the death of the upright. What is he thinking? He actually thinks that he can come curse the very people that God said that I will not curse those who, uh, you cannot curse those I have not cursed, right? I have blessed them. And as a matter of fact, you can't do anything that I have already done or, or that I have told you not to do. And yet he can believe that he is upright by what he's doing. That, does that not at some level kind of throw you? But do you and I see that very same thing in society today? I mean, the people in, in Islamic, Islamic nations feel they are absolutely upright in their hatred toward Israel. And they thank their God, they thank God, for the ability to bring war against Israel to wipe them off the face of the earth. And also pray into their God for assistance that that would happen. Scary. But we see it in the world today, and this is what he said, May my soul die the death of the upright, and may my end be like his. Who's his? Yaakov's or the people of Israel. He's hoping his end will be like his. Sorry that his end wasn't. Now, let's start at chapter 13. Who would like to read for me? With a loud, booming voice. <clears throat> Okay, that's good. So, this is the second blessing. A couple of interesting things that we'll point out. Uh, for, for those who are interested, some of these quotes will come from Rebbe Nachman's Torah. If you don't have this 
this uh, commentary. Uh, it's available here if you're obviously the students here can come here anytime and read through it. Good, really good insight. Um, the first couple of things that we want to point out is verse 19. For, for those who have come out of their idolatry into um, Jewish ideas and the understanding of the Torah, of the Torah and the Tanakh, we understand that God is not a what? Man. Very clear. This is where it states it. Now, he sa it says in context, he's not a man that he should lie. So, meaning, who is capable of lying? Men or God? Men. Men. Okay, if God were capable of lying, he would be a man. He's not a man. Okay, so that's that's the case. Nor is he, what, mortal that he will change his mind. So, what are we saying? God is not man, nor is he mortal. That means that God cannot die. Right. Pretty simple, right? And he says, nor is he mortal that he change his mind. Why does he not change his mind? Because only people that are mortal can change their mind or have this ability to change their mind. Why does God not change his mind? He thinks of everything perfect already. That's it. <laughs> he has no need to change his mind. Now, there can be some debate, right, yes. because we see times that Moshe prayed out to Hashem, and God changed his mind. What does change his mind mean? What does this mean? Let's get this. Say it again. Go against his nature. Go against his nature? That's a good point. What you, what'd you say? Avert his force. Avert. Yeah, I think right? that's kind of the way so, it would be different ways. You could right. So this is, a, this is how to understand it. Say it again. Showing his mercy. Showing his mercy. Yeah. So here, here's the way to really to properly comprehend it. When it says that he does not change, but yet we see in text where it says he clearly changed his mind, right. it means that the essence of who he is will never change. Okay? Just as we have in the physical things that will not change, the sunrise, sunset, the rotating of the earth in the solar system, the stars in its place, the precision in which all that is set up, that just as we can depend on that, I mean, Atomic clocks are set by absolute precision, and it's and we use this whole solar system to be able to set these clocks. And we know down to the second how to do this. It doesn't change. So in that case, God does not change. However, in the essence of God, who does not change, meaning He is consistent. He is always merciful. He is always full of loving kindness toward His people. He is a just God. All of those things you can depend on 100%, it will not change. But at the same time, there are, it is also part of his essence to show mercy and answer prayers. It is not that he is changing his mind. It is that he hears and listens the prayers of his people. So a mother and a father have to have consistency. And, they have, and to raise good, healthy children, consistency is very important. But at the same time, you do show justice to your children and mercy to your children. And there are times when a child begs you enough that you will reconsider what you're going to do. And that does not mean that God's essence has changed. Does that, y'all following me? Okay, I just want to make sure we're close on that one. Would he say and not do? 
Of course not. There is something pretty interesting about um, verse 19. Uh, let me see what uh, let me see what Rabbi Nachman says. It says the name El, as all powerful one, you know God, is associated with truth, and truth is associated with Yaakov. Uh, he called it God is the Lord of Israel, which can also be read the Lord of Israel called him. El, furthermore, truth is connected to the world to come to a uh, livelihood for when a person has a livelihood and is not dependent on other human beings he is capable of praying to God honestly fortunately he is not dependent on others and he can thus attain truth so the idea that when it says that God is not a human it means that he is all-powerful he's all-powerful and when he makes a decision he doesn't change when he says for example the next verse says uh, um, he, uh, would he say and not do and speak and not fulfill? The reason why it is impossible when he says something he won't, that he's going to do it is he's all-powerful, and he's all-powerful and all-knowing. And being all-knowing, he's not going to say something like us and have to retract it. I mean, you know, we're, that's kind of normal operation procedure for us. We say things we regret, right? It says, I have received instructions to bless. He has blessed, and I will not retract it. Basically, what is he saying? I have to bless them because God has blessed them. The word blessing appears twice in the verse. In the first instance, it is pronounced brech, brech. In the second instance, it is pronounced, uh, I'm sorry, brech in the first and brech. In the second one, the first vowel, um, which actually means closed or sealed. It's like his blessing is a covenant, closed, sealed. It's not going to be opened. No one's going to change it. This is what he's going to do. And so one of the things that we've discovered in, in prophetic, um, in, the, in the Nevim and the prophets, is in spite of Israel, God is going to redeem them, right? He's going to redeem them in spite of themselves. Why? Because he has a covenant with them. It's a promise to fulfill. Um, Rabbi Nachman says in, in, uh, in this book here, says, God's light descends to us in an undifferentiated, differentiated and uninformed, sealed fashion. It is up to man to create the vessel in which to receive that light. If a person's vessel is faulty, then although the light comes to him, he cannot shape it into a blessing. This is found in Lakuti Maharan 1. Thus, it is a blessing that I have taken. It is up to each individual to perfect his blessing so that they can take the blessings of God. Another one says, uh, Steeped in impurity, Bilam wanted to draw the light of God into his vessel in order to curse the Jews. However, God saw to it that his light was blessed at its source so that Bilam would not be able to grasp a hold of it. So the whole idea is because he's looking, and later on we'll see this concept, he's looking with two eyes because he talks about one eye and then he talks about his eyes. The idea is he could only grasp so much. Hashem revealed to him what he wanted him to know and other than that, he knew nothing else. Verse 21, it says, He took, he does not look at the wrongdoing of Jacob. 
or he says it in one uh, Chumash, I think, uh, he observes no evil among Yaakov and has seen no transgression in Israel. Let me ask you, did any of the people of Yaakov's family do anything that was wrong? Of course. So the whole idea is God chose to not see it, which is beautiful. I mean, he chose not to see it. Why does he choose not to see it? Because it doesn't complete his plan or his purpose. It doesn't negate that his plan or his purpose for it. That very good, very good point. So let's, let's for a moment look at the idea of repentance, its goal, and how it should be um, examined. One of the things that we discover is that uh, there are many resolutions to repentance by our mitzvah, our actions, correct? And we understand that, you know, because of Yom Kippur, we can, we can um, what's the word for it, um, vex our soul before Hashem. I mean, we can really vex ourselves before Hashem, uh, and that has meaning. We can even punish ourselves at some level by, you know, special prayers or, you know, doing the little extra, go the extra mile in your, in your tzedakah, in your giving, or whatever it may be. But the idea is this, is you could go far beyond the call of duty to somehow pay Hashem back, but He's not interested in that as much as He is the consistent transformation or change that you always go back to. Go back to doing the will of God. I mean, you can vex yourself all you want. You can stand on a street corner with a big placard and say, you know, I'm an adulterer, I'm a thief. That, Hashem's not interested in that. What He's interested in is that you change your life and never steal again. Or that you change your life and restore your relationship with your spouse. That's what this is about. So when He looks at Yaakov, what does He see? He sees a people from the time of Abraham to this day, He sees a people that even though there are mistakes even though there are, are uh, misguided things in their life, they constantly are having this desire to return. It's a constant GPS for their, for their soul that turns back to God. And that is the secret of repentance. It's not that we're able to li live a perfect life, but this is about really being grieved about where we're at and constantly changing our course back to Hashem. That's what this is about. That's why Hashem didn't see the wrongdoing. Uh, God always looks for the good and ignores what is not good. Baruch Hashem, right? How much more should we refrain from looking negatively? Now notice this. Here we go. How much more should we refrain from looking negatively at others or searching out their shortcomings? Yeah, you're off the hook. Up to this point, we were getting ready to go, go to it. <clears throat> I mean, the point is this. The Ramchal talks about you not showing mercy to other people and expect to have mercy shown to you from, from the, great, the great council of judges. I mean, that's kind of ludicrous. That's the kind of crazy thinking that Bilam had. He says, may I be counted like those that, you know, may I rest and die like those who are righteous. I mean, that's insane. But there are people that are so full of their ego, they could not. Let, let me tell you, the only way Balaam can do that, he had no fear of Hashem. He didn't have any fear of Hashem. 
the fear of Hashem would keep you from having double-minded thinking because you realize that is ego speaking there. When someone says, I, I expect God to show me mercy, but I will show no one else mercy, that is ego at its highest level. And when we look at this, we see the text, he talks very clearly, he talks about, he does not look at the wrongdoing of Jacob. If you want Hashem to not look at your wrongdoing, then what are you supposed to do? Don't look at the wrongdoing of others. Just learn to shrug your shoulders and go, hmm, hmm, hmm. And that's tough to do. It's tough to do if you're especially if you're a very verbal person and you don't, that injustice is, is uh, you, you like to defend those who have had injustice done to them. That's very difficult to go, it, it, you know, it just happens. But it's true. The next part it says, He has the king's affection. Who is he? Yaakov, right? This means that the divine presence is with the Jewish people, according to Rashi. The teruah friendship that connotes divine favor and prophecy. The Jews will attain this because God's presence is with them, according to Lukuti Maharan. Since God took them out of Egypt, verse 22, they are like the highest expression of strength. You, Balak, think that the Jews left Egypt on their own. It's not the case. This is not so. God took them out. The difference was the Jewish people recognized that they did not end up where they were at on their own accord, that this was a miraculous event. Balak and Balaam, wanted to find blameless, wanted to find blemishes in the Jewish people so Balaam's curse could take hold. Balak suggested that although God had taken the Jews out of Egypt, they had been unworthy. What is the main accusation of the Islamic people? If you go to Islamic websites, especially the English ones, they will say uh, words like, um, you know, may the memory of King David be blessed. They say wonderful things about Moshe and about Abraham. But they say that the Jewish people should be pushed out of the land because they are unworthy of the covenant to possess the land. That's not a new story, okay? It's been around since this period of time. But, 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 but Balaam understood that God had caused his light to illuminate the Jews with goodness so that despite their unworthiness, he could still bring about the exodus. Verse 23, it says, For there is no, what, divination in Yaakov and no sorcery. There was no sorcery in Yaakov. If you want to know why Balaam was not capable of bringing curse upon Israel, it's because within them there was no sorcery. There was nothing for it to hold on to. Have you ever noticed that countries that are real given, you know, their culture is real given to sorcery? voodoo, all that stuff, uh, you hear all of these stories of how um, witch doctors and I don't know, what, what do they call the voodoo, voodoo women? Priestess. Priestess can put a curse on someone. Have you noticed that? I mean, you hear it all the time. 
why is a priestess capable of putting a curse on somebody? It's because that person has sorcery in them. And a person that doesn't have sorcery in them, and they don't care about witchcraft practices in their life, which witchcraft is really rebellion against Hashem, correct. correct? If you don't have that in you, no one can put a curse on you. Doesn't do you any, didn't do any good. So it says, um, Jacob's and his progeny distanced themselves from anything that even resembled witchcraft and sorcery. Therefore, these uh, types of acts cannot have any effect on them. Not so those who pursue sorcery and other evil practices. Since they seek a corrupt way of life, they are repaid measure for measure with the opportunity to fall deeper and deeper into evil ways, according to Lakuti Horachot. So the idea is that a person given to sorcery right. finds themselves being controlled by the sorcery. So uh, who was that the other day? Some... Some act. I'm just. Tr I'm trying to remember. Some sports figure or somebody mm -hmm. went to New Orleans to get a special, like voodoo blessing. Why do you think that they suppose? Why do you suppose that they did this? Now it may have been for a show, but the whole point is, is he has sorcery in him, Correct. and the problem is, is once you begin a diet of that, Hashem allows you to just go full face into it. Yes, in Lakuti uh, Halakot 1, in the future, when the angels will see the Jews inside the perimeter that is closest to God, they will ask the Jews, what has God done? Because they understood the test of this world. The Jew will be closer to God than the angels who never were tested. The Jews will then merit to the inside perimeter, the Keter, thus the angels are called seraphim, the burn ones, or burn ones, because they are consumed with their attainments without possessing any necessary vessels in which to contain their enthusiasm. But the Jew, by performing the mitzvah, create those own vessels. So in this world, there are those who are the righteous in the nation, and the Jew, that carve out or develop a vessel out of mitzvah. Uh, one, one way to sort of vision this is that every, uh, every mitzvah is like a string, is like a um, thread. And that in your life, as you get up and do these mitzvahs day by day, you're weaving a garment. And the garment is actually what will clothe you when you uh, approach judgment. And at the end, you will either have a full garment that is pure and that is spotless because mitzvahs are pure and holy, or you will not have a garment at all, or you'll have a tattered garment, meaning that you, you did things to diminish your mitzvah in your life. And so if you can kind of picture that, it'll help you to understand the power of, a, of mitzvah. So in the way that you carve or you build this garment, you are also sort of providing a vessel for Hashem's illumination to come into. It is, it, it is tantamount to having a vessel that is capable of holding the proper fuel to make good light. Because you can have a vessel that's not capable of holding the fuel properly, 
and it just won't, the light won't sustain itself. So that's what this is about. Verse 24, it says, Look, a people that rests like an awesome lion and raises itself like a lion. It does not lie down until it eats its prey and drinks of the blood of the slain. What is he talking about? Israel is like a lion. Israel is like a lion. A lion, when it gets up in the morning, doesn't... Um, he gets up with purpose, right? What's his purpose? Going to eat something. He doesn't get up, lounge around. He's getting up with a purpose. And when he goes to bed at night, he goes to bed with a purpose. And that is, he doesn't go to bed with fear. Why does he not go to bed with fear? Because he takes care of his business before he goes to bed. So a person who is a righteous person, right? When we go to bed at night, we don't go to bed in fear, do we? Why? Because we take care of our business. What business is that? Is a lion will make sure that it has completely devoured the prey that it has or the prey that is around them. And we should have a goal every night before we go to bed to completely consume the Yetzirah, the, the, the part of us that wants to endanger our spiritual life. That is why we asked Hashem when we go to bed at night to guard our souls and we place our soul in His protection. And we ask Him to protect us against our Yetzirah so that we are guarded against its predatory sort of nature that it has. So a lion, I mean, here he sees Israel as being like a lion who gets up in the morning with purpose. Israel got up every morning. He could see them. They would get up and their tents didn't even face each other because they wanted to make sure that every family had their unique privacy. But he saw the men come out of their tent and they would don tefillin and they would daven. Every morning, thousands of men facing toward the Holy Land, davening. Can you imagine what that would look like? And can you imagine seeing them going through the purification rites every morning, washing their hands, doing everything they're supposed to do? And he says, they're like a lion. They, they're with purpose. They move about their life with purpose. What are we supposed to do in the time that is coming up to... My goodness, I don't know how we're going to finish this. I might have to skip a little bit. What, what are we going to do as a people in troubled times? We, we've really got to be, in this, in this way, like a lion. We've got to have this sense of purpose when we get up in the morning, this sense of focus, not allowing ourselves to get thrown off by the environment at all, uh, not allowing ourselves to be worried or troubled. You don't see a lion going around worried. I mean, he's pretty, pretty cool, calm, and collected. So it's very important. So let's, let's go to... Um, Oh, my goodness, there's so much in the third parable. But I, I want to go, let's skip to chapter 24, verse 14. The parable of the end of days. Someone start reading for me, please. And now, as I go back to my people, let me inform you of what this people will do to your people in the days, in days to come. He took up his he took up his theme and said, Word of Balaam, son of Beor, word of the man whose eye is true, word of him who hears God's speech, 
who obtained knowledge from the Most High, and behold vision from the Almighty, prostrate, but with eyes unveiled. What I see for them is not yet. What I behold will not be soon. A star rises from Jacob. A scepter comes forth from Israel. It smashes the brow of Moab, the foundation of all children of Seth. Edom becomes a possession. Yea, Seir, a possession of its enemies, but Israel is triumphant. A victor issues from Jacob to wipe out what is left of Ire. He saw Amalek, and taking up his theme, he said, A leading nation is Amalek, but its fate is to perish forever. He saw the Kenites, and taking up the taking up his theme, he said, Though your abode is uh, be, though your abode be secure, and your nest be set among cliffs, yet shall Cain be consumed, and Ashur take you captive. He took up his theme and said, Alas, who can survive except God has willed it? Ships come from the quarter of Kittim. They subject Ashur, subject a bird. They too shall perish forever. Then Balaam set out on his journey back home, and Balak also went his went his way. While Israel was staying at Shittim, the people profaned themselves by pouring with the Moabite women who invited the people to the sacrifices of their God. The people partook of them and worshipped that God. Okay, that'll be good. Let's pause right there. We're going to wrap up with the idea of Balaam, Balaam's ability to see the end, right? He knew there was no stopping them. Um, and by the end of this, we're going to see, and we're going into Pinchas next week. You're going to realize there's no, there's no stopping them. But what you can do is somehow create enough havoc inside of their camp that they would experience the anger of God because he knew that if he could arouse the anger of God that possibly Hashem would destroy them. Right? That's the key. So how do you arouse the anger of God? Uh, get them to whore around with pagan women and worship other gods. How do you anger Hashem? Get them to turn away from him and their immorality and their worship. And it was less about the immorality as it was about paganism. It was paganism mixed with immorality. And that should tell us everything right now. If we want to know what the answer to restoration and redemption is, the encouragement of every Jew that is involved in all religious practices except for Judaism mm -hmm. to drop what they're doing and do tshuva and repent mm -hmm. and to return as quick as possible because those people that are still in their idolatry and paganism they don't realize this they're searching for their own spirituality okay but what they don't realize is they are withholding the overwhelming blessing of Hashem in the world they're withholding that 
And so it's our responsibility to try to help be a light and to see that happening. But there's a couple things I want to say. Notice that the term Amalek is, is brought up and also the term um, uh, the Kenites, right? The, the Kenites are the uh, descendants of, of um, Jethro. They represent converts who don't completely stay on track, and they kind of go in their own way. There is a midrash that says that Abraham and Sarah, and we know this, uh, very familiar with it, Abraham and Sarah helped to convert many hundreds of people on their, while they were lach lecha, left Ur of Chaldees on their way to the promised land. The problem is, as soon as Abraham and Sarah would move on to the next place, these people would go back to what was most familiar to them. Um, which explains why uh, many people, uh, in, in the, many Jewish people who assimilate, because they're not in a constant environment of study and community and practice, it's very easy to just go back to the ways of the world. And we see this text talking about, the, it says, uh, it says the word, he said, um, the word of the one who hears God saying and knows the thoughts of the supernatural one. So Balaam is saying, I hear God. Who sees God's vision lying down, yet with open eyes. So he sees God's vision. God, he can, he can you know, he can understand what God is showing him. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but he is not near. A star will shoot forth out of Yaakov, and a staff will rise up from Israel. Who is the star and the staff? Do we know? Does that sound familiar, right? David. It also could be the Mashiach, right? Because the scepter shall not be removed from David. So he is seeing messianic redemption. What is the... Order of Messianic Redemption, this shooting star that comes out. Um, Rev. Nachman talks about this star also representing the many prayers of the Jewish people during these times of trouble. We've seen the nation come and fall on their face toward God and asking Him to intervene and have mercy upon these young men. And since then, we pray that it will continue to keep, you know, the, the Jewish people will continue to be on the road of spiritual return. It says, He will crush the princes of Moab. That's immediately. That's coming. He will devastate all the descendants of the Shias. Edom will be possessed. Sheir, his enemy, will be possessed. And Israel will grow strong. This is what's going to happen in the next few years, right after this event is prophesied. A ruler will come from Yaakov and destroy the remnant of a city. When he saw, and talking about, you know, we can see the whole prophetic deal in the future with him, with, with King David, etc. But then he says, when he saw the future retribution of Amalek, he launched into this parable and said, Amalek is the first of the nations to fight Israel. Was Amalek the first one to fight Israel? Yes. When they were coming out of the land, you remember Amalek attacked, it, attacked them. 
this, his end, now get this, his end is eternal destruction. This is very, very unique, meaning that the destruction that comes upon Emelech, which is, we don't know who exactly is Emelech, but we do know that it represents two sort of blended societies within the world that have an unhealthy, unmitigated hatred toward the Jewish people. We can pretty much guess who that is. In the end, they will be completely done away with. Okay? And, I, you know, will it be by the hand of an army or will it be by the hand of Hashem? We'll see. When he saw what would happen to the Kenites, he launched into this parable and said, How firm is your dwelling place? Your nest is set in stone. Remember, the Jethro and his people had homes that were carved out of rocks, right? For even if the Kenite laid waste and exiled, how far will Assyria take you captive? Pondering the Assyrian exile, he launched into his parable, said, Oh, who can survive God placing these things in, on him? Ships will come from the Kenites. They will afflict Assyria and afflict the other side of the river, but he too will perish forever. Balaam is moving. He went off and returned to his home. So we end on this. We have no clue what's going to happen in the next couple of years. And if everything moves according to the plan of, of, of ISIS, the Ishmaelites, Amalek, Edom, the West, we see potential World War III taking place, and it taking in place in the Mideast, and Israel being the central focus of it. And it's very disturbing. And it's disturbing to the place that we just don't want to see any more harm come to our people. At the same time, do we realize how close we are to redemption? We could see it, like, within the next few years. We could actually see miraculous hand of God save Israel. And it will come in the nick of time. And it will come when Israel realizes that they have no hope except Hashem. They will realize that. They will come to it. Now, many, obviously, the religious realize it, and they're continuing to pray and to call the rest of the people of God together. But when you think of 2% or less than 2% of all Jews are really observant religious Orthodox, and that 2% is what's holding things together. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we know according to Zechariah 14 that things are going to turn around on a dime. And it's going to happen when Gog and Magog, when the nations come against Israel... We are so close to that right now, I don't see how it can not happen unless it's just not God's time. And if it's not God's time, then this whole ISIS thing will be wiped out and it won't be any big deal. But we're close, which is an exciting thing. And why is it so exciting is this. This is not about Israel's high-tech army. It's not about their high-tech air force. This is not about their great technological advances. It's not about their wealth. 
It's about their God. Their God that made a promise to one man, Abraham. And he tells them, he told them a long time ago, I'm not doing this because of you. I'm not doing it on your merit. I'm doing it on the merit of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So whenever I see the world speak evil against our brothers, when I see the world print horrible things in accusation against Israel, I realize it is what it is, but one day I know because my Abba is not a man that he should lie. He's not a mortal that he should change his mind. And that he has blessed Israel because of Abraham, it's going to happen in spite of me, you, and everybody else. So we can hold our heads high. We can take a deep breath and sigh and go, you know what? It's going to be okay. Hashem's got a plan. Baruch Hashem. That concludes the class. Everyone say shalom. Shalom.